Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. Uh, I'm so happy you're here. My name's Aaron. I'm the pastor here. Uh, actually, today's kind of a special day. We have a guest speaker. Mike Hoba is going to be speaking today. It's kind of a special moment for me, actually, because Mike is my pastor. He's been my pastor for... Like we 20, figured it out last service. 25 years? Some years, like something. yeah. So Mike and I have had a relationship for a, a long time. He's my coach. He's been my mentor of getting us to where we're at as a church. So I'm super excited to have him speak and for you guys to hear him. So let's give it up for Mike. Thank you. Um, that's true. I was a pastor in Ripon for 20 years, started Ripon Community Church, helped some other churches, including this church get started. And then this past year, moved from Ripon down to Slinger. I'm 25 minutes from here. And I now do Christian counseling and have online sort of sermons just like you guys have here. But I haven't been on stage very much in this last year, so if I'm a little rusty, you're going to have to forgive that. Let's get started, though, right away. There's this phrase that you're probably aware of, hot mess. Who's heard the phrase hot mess before? Who's said the phrase hot mess before? About yourself or someone else? <laughs> Maybe both, right? Okay, so hot mess, but I bet you like you don't really know where the phrase comes from, I'm guessing, because it's been around for a long time in the 1800s. Back in the 1800s, you would think it was like some crazy spinster with a club was a hot mess, but that's not what it meant back then. In the 1800s, um, a hot mess was like a mess kit that they used in the army. Then in the 1900s, what it, would, what it meant then was a hot mess was like a, a bad firefight. Like if a bunch of soldiers got in a really bad situation, they would say they're in a hot mess. Now, in, in our time, it's taken on a different meaning, right? Now, our time, hot mess means something more like this. And, and I don't, this is Britney Spears, if you're kind of super young and you don't know who she is. But I don't mean to disrespect her in any way, but this is her life, right? Like she's had some moments because she's super famous, where people are like, holy cow, what's Britney Spears doing? And then she has other moments where she's like a big superstar and singing songs and on TV and stuff. So sometimes people would say she's a hot mess. But really the term now, hot mess, what it means is a person who has some area of their life in disarray or some area of their life is, is messed up or maybe an attractive disaster. Like they look good in some ways, but there's some other stuff that's not so good that's a hot mess. They're not doing so well in some area of their life, but they're not like totally crazy. They're just in a mess. Maybe they've created the mess themselves. Maybe someone else dumped the mess in their life, but it's happening all around them and they're still functional. They still show up for work. No one really knows. They can show up for school. No one really knows. They show up for church and no one really knows. You know, the kids are going crazy in the car and everybody's late and upset and then you walk in the church. It's like, hey, good morning, happy Sunday, right? I've done it. People do it. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if you wanted to pose for the, the hot mess picture, it could be me. I'm as much of a hot mess as anyone. I've led a church for 20 years. I'm speaking here today because everyone is a hot mess to some degree. Everyone has stuff in their life that maybe you wouldn't guess. You know, we show up and, and we you know, put on the smile or the happy face and act like everything's going okay. Maybe it's work or, or, or school or even church, right? Like I said, even church where you just come in. You're not being bad. You're not really doing anything wrong. But you're not going to walk in on Sunday morning and tell everybody like, wow, my finances are this. And, you know, you're just not. 
it's not a sin or, real, or bad or any, anything at all, but we don't really know what's going on in other people's lives. We just don't. And we think what's going on in our life is so unique and, and we've messed up so bad when that's just not true. Because everyone has a mess. Everyone has a mess. But we just clean up good. That's what we do. I do it and you do it. And maybe you've gotten yourself in a financial mess or maybe something happened and dumped you into a financial mess of debt and you've looked at it and said, man, our finances are a mess. Or man, our marriage is a mess. It was going good and now it's not. It's a mess. Or maybe you're dating someone you're trying to figure out you want to stay in it. Are they too messy or not for you? Is their life out of control or not for you? The point is this. The thing that we all deal with that's common to all of us is life is just messy. It just is. We make mistakes along the way ourselves that bring mess in and, and stuff just happens. You know it. You have no control over it. All of a sudden something's spiraling out of your control and, and you can't just fix it, but you have to deal with it. It's the way life is. But the good news is it's not just you. Sometimes you can think it's you. You're driving to work in the morning and you're just miserable and you're thinking it's only my job and it's only my crazy boss or, or whatever. But it's not just you. It's not just your life. It's not just your family. It's not just your GPA. It's not just your marriage. A lot of times people will email me or call about counseling. And this happened even back when I was a pastor. So it's been happening for years for me. And they'll say something like on, on the call or in one of the first meetings, maybe not even the first, it might take them a while to warm up. And then they'll say something like, well, I've got this thing and I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you. And I always, I always stop them, right? And I always stop and say, listen, if you can tell me something I haven't heard before, I'll take you to lunch. We think our problems are so unique, but they're not. So many other people go through the same things. And it might sound kind of crass, like I'll take you to lunch if you have a bad problem. I don't mean it that way. I mean it to say, whatever you think is your horrible thing, you're not alone. And you have to know you're not alone. Not only are there other people that have struggled and, and conquered whatever you're dealing with, there's a God there that says he's there for you as well. You're not alone in your mess. And knowing that will help you not make the most common mistakes because there's a few things I've seen people do when something gets messy in their life and it's just it's a terrible mistake. It's like a panic, right? Like maybe you told a small lie and then it kind of spiraled out of control and then you had to tell a little bigger lie to cover the first lie and then a little bigger lie to cover the second lie. It happens in life. Sometimes we make our messes worse. Have you ever made a mess messier? Anybody? Is it just, okay, well then, n not that many? I won't, I won't tell you my dirty one then. Okay, I'll tell you my good one. All right. Um, here's a mess in my life that, was, that I really screwed up, but I'm not afraid to share it with you. Um, I've had two boys, and when the oldest was four, you know, it had been summer, and they're about to go back to school, and they had to go get a haircut, and my wife told me how much a haircut was, and this might surprise you. I had no clue how much haircuts were. My mom cut my hair as a little kid. Um, my sister went to beauty school, so by the time I was in middle school, she cut my hair until I was 20-something and it all fell out. So I never paid for a haircut. My wife tells me how much this haircut's going to be for my four-year-old who's going to preschool. I'm like, no way! I don't know if you've ever had that conversation in your home, right? Like, someone says how much something is, and the other person's like, no way, we're not paying that. That was me. Like, I am not paying that much to cut a four-year-old's hair. Come on, you cut it! And then my wife is like, She's a foot shorter than me. I'm not going to cut it. You cut it. 
I'm like, come on, my mom cut my hair, cut his hair. She's like, I don't know how to cut hair. Like, I'm a dude, right? So stupid. How hard could it be? And she's like, it's super hard. You don't know what you're doing. And I'm like, fine, I'll do it myself. I'll cut his hair. So I bring Junior over to the chair in the kitchen, and uh, I get like, a, like a, the clipper thing, you know, the little buzz clippers, the thing that buzzes, right? And I got a scissors. And, and he's got, you know, fairly long hair. It hadn't been cut all summer. And I start trimming it off the top and trying to make it like with a comb like you see people on TV do. I'm clipping and I'm clipping. And it, it just keeps getting shorter because I get it uneven. And I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the sides and I'm going to do like a fade. Because like, you know, like really, really good looking guy haircuts sometimes, like it's like really short and then it gets a little bit longer as you go up. And then on top they have a bit more hair, right? I can do that. I'll just shave the sides and I'll fade it. Here's the problem with that with a four-year-old. They got really small heads. So to, to, to do the fade, there's not much room to fade. So I'm zipping up there, and like the whole side of his head's bald now. Oh, jeez. So I'm cutting, and I'm trimming, and I'm buzzing, and like in the end, I just started feeling really bad and really bad, and the next thing I know, I got to like shave his head. And it's, it's like September 1st, okay, ready? Go back to school. He had been out and about all summer like a four-year-old does outside, super tan, and then he had this white head. It kind of looked like he was wearing like a, a swimming cap or a skull cap or something. It looked horrible. And, and here's my four-year-old now. I'm, I'm super close to them. We're, we're buds, right? He looks up at me from the haircut, and he had glasses, but he's four, so they're always crooked. And then they're all, you got a picture, mine aren't smudged. His are like always smudged. He had like peanut butter on there. His glasses are always smudged. He's like, do I look good, Daddy? And I'm about to cry. I'm 30-some years old, and I'm looking at my kid like, I'm so sorry I did this to you. And I had done this thing as, as, a, as a young adult. I was like, when I have kids, I'm never lying to them. I don't care. I'm never going to lie to them. And I, I don't think I really ever have, but this time I did. He's like, do I look good, Daddy? And I'm like, oh, yes, boy, you look, you look amazing, right? He's like, thanks, Dad. And he runs off. Well, there's school the next day. And I go walking into the school with them. And this is the school I taught. I was a teacher. And they had like a preschool program. So I'm walking him into the preschool program, you know, and all the other teachers are there in the morning before all the kids come in, and they're all running about the halls and junk. And I'm walking by, and I could see it on their face. Like they'd look at him, and like look away casually, but then you knew when the second look happened, there was a problem. <laughs> right? And they're looking at my kid and trying not to make a face, but I knew it. And I was starting to get ticked at them. And I started to explain it to everyone. It's like, I cut his hair, I screwed it up, it's not him. He's fine. It's my fault. But I was mad at him because I knew they thought my kid looked goofy. And only you can think your kid looks goofy, right? Like someone else can never tell you your kid looks goofy. You can think they look goofy, but you don't want anyone else to ever insult your kid. So this mess just kept mushrooming, snowballing, downhill. And now I'm at school. I'm teaching and I'm ticked off. I ruined my day. I ruined his day. I'm ticked at all my other teachers. I probably ruined their day. All over a haircut. I made the mess messier and messier and messier. And I bet you you have similar stories. Maybe they're goofy or maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. Maybe you got a mess story that isn't so funny like a little kid's haircut that's going to grow out. Maybe you have a financial mess that you've made messier. Maybe you have a relationship mess that you've made messier. Or a professional or academic mess. Like you didn't study and then you cheated on the test and then you got in trouble or whatever. It happens. We do it. I could go on and on. But when you do make one of those important messes messier, life just gets tough because your whole life starts to get messy then. You had this one area that was messy, but it just spills into everything else 
when you don't handle it well, when you panic. So the first thing is when you, when you come across some mess in your life, you've got to just hold up for a minute. You can't just react quick because there's a good chance you're just going to make it worse. So you just hold up. You just give your chance to think about it. The next thing you've got you to not do is this, and I see this a lot. You can't refuse to change. A lot of times people have mess in their life, and, and they, they, just, they just don't want to change. I see this a lot. Like I told you, I mostly do Christian counseling now. And a lot of times when I meet with people, we'll be talking about their life and stuff, some area of their life. And I'll just point out, like, has what you've been doing working? Is it working? What you have been doing, is it working? No. How long have you been doing it? Five years. Whatever the number is, right? And I'll just say, well, why would you just keep doing it then? Like, you know that doesn't work. You could do anything else. It might work. But you know what doesn't work. But it's hard to change sometimes. It's just hard, and we hold on to how we are and how we think, and we don't want to evolve. We just want to be like this, and we want everyone else to adjust to us, when actually in life, if you're going to mature emotionally, if you're going to mature spiritually, you have to change. That's the maturing process. If you're a person who believes in Jesus and you're following Jesus, the way you follow Jesus today is not going to be the way you follow Jesus 10 years from now, I hope. You're going to change. You're going to grow. You're going to be a bit different. Right now, if you believe in God, the way you think of God right now, hopefully, grows in this next year. Maybe you have more awe for him or more curiosity about what he thinks or whatever it may be. But you're going to continue to grow and evolve and change. That's healthy. Refusing to change just starts messing up everything. And then finally, here's the big one that you can't do that I see so much. You can't compare to others. Because that's like the easiest way out ever, right? You're thinking... Oh, man, I screwed this up, whatever. Oh, but they, they're really bad. Look what they did about this, or look what they think about. Can you believe what they said? Like, you say stuff like that, right? And that's been going on since the beginning of time. And Jesus addresses it in Scripture. This is happening in Scripture, and, and I won't read the whole verse. It's there for you, but basically here's what's happening. Jesus is telling you not to be watching other people's lives so much, right? Someone's messing up, and Jesus is saying, listen, Quit worrying about them. That's not your business. Sure, they've got this little mistake. You've got your own huge mistakes to worry about. Quit thinking about them. Think about yourself. Don't judge anyone else. It's not for you. And it's a little hard at first, because at first it's just nice to judge other people, because, well, they're screwed up and they're dumb or whatever, and I'm going to judge them, and that means I'm better than them, so I feel good about me. But it weighs on you so much. And when you can just let that go and not worry about anyone else, you're free to just focus. Think about yourself. Think about how your life's going to be better, not worse. So to properly deal with your messes, you can't do those things. What you have to do is this. It begins with a mirror. It begins with the mirror. Do we got the monkey picture? So... I, I just like monkeys. That's the only reason it's a monkey picture. But you begin with this mirror, and it's got to be an accurate mirror. Because sometimes, as we think about ourselves and we look in the mirror or consider our lives or reflect, we try to make it a little better than it really is. We try to think of ourselves as a little better than we really are. And, and for me, there's, there's this hotel. I don't know if anyone's ever been to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. There's a Westin Hotel on the beach there. We've been there a few times. And they have these mirrors at the end of the halls. Like it's, it's, I don't know, 30 or 40 stories tall or whatever. And so you go down the hall to the elevator, from your room to the elevator, and at the end of the hall by the elevator, there's a really big mirror. Like, I don't know, 10 feet by 4 feet. And you look in the mirror as you're waiting for the elevator, and they're so smart. 
This hotel is so smart because they're like skinny mirrors or something. And, and this is true. So you leave, you're about ready to go to dinner, it's you and your wife or whatever, and you get to the, ho- you, you push the elevator button and you just, you can't help it, you just like look in the mirror because it's right there. And you look in the mirror, it's like, whoa. Dang, I'm good looking. We should go dancing or so. Look at, look at us. And it's the mirror. I'm not kidding. This, whatever they have about the mirror, you look taller and thinner and tanner. You just, you look amazing in these mirrors. But it's not accurate. We think of ourselves sometimes that way. We think about our real self and then there's kind of like our, our best self, almost like a Snapchat filter. Where you try to make yourself a little better than you actually are. You've got to be honest with yourself. You need a real, accurate mirror. You don't want to look better than yourself, and you certainly don't want to look worse because we do that even more. Where, like, you look in the mirror and you see, like, everything wrong with you. You got a few hairs out of place or whatever it is. You see, your, your shirt doesn't fit perfectly. No one else sees that. But we look in the mirror a lot of times and just think the worst of ourselves. And that's not accurate either. And it's certainly not healthy for you. You need a real mirror, an accurate mirror, a real reflection of who you honestly are, where you can be honest about yourself and honest about your messes. That's where it starts. Because we all mess up from time to time. We just do. And to get over it, to grow healthily from it, you look in the mirror, you get an accurate mirror, maybe it's in your bathroom, and you say, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. You can say it as many times as you need to say it, but it's true. Nobody's perfect. Because if you agree with that, if you speak like that to yourself, you're actually agreeing with God. When you look in the mirror after one of your mistakes, or maybe you're down about something in your life that you know should be better, whatever, you look in the mirror and say, nobody's perfect, you're agreeing with God. There's a writer in the Bible, his name is James. James is actually Jesus' little brother. And James says, when he writes as an adult in Scripture, we all make many mistakes. Can you imagine being Jesus' little brother? I mean, we know about first child and third child and middle child stuff, right? Can you imagine being Jesus' little brother? Well, Jesus was never naughty, James. Jesus never forgot his homework. Jesus didn't need a life vest. Come on, James. Can you imagine? That's a, that's a tough bar to measure to, right? Where were you when the wine ran out, James? Jesus fixed it. It'd be t- difficult to be Jesus' little brother. So for James to later write, we all make many mistakes, imagine how many times he must have had to say that to his parents growing up. He knew about mistakes. James knew about mistakes. It'd be tough to follow Jesus, Right? If your life is a mess, if you're sort of a hot mess, if you have a mess in one part of your life, but you still look good and you're still functional, I get it, because that's what we do. That's what everybody does. You have a church full of people doing that. You have a work site full of people doing that. You have a family full of people doing that. We don't just get our mess out there, but you know it's there. We all have this mess in common. We all know we're not perfect, but no one talks about it. So for you, you have to begin by talking to yourself and saying to the mirror, nobody's perfect, and that's okay. Nobody's perfect, but, so stick with me now, nobody's perfect, but I'm going to be okay. Nobody's perfect, 
but I'm going to be okay. And here's why. I know I'm going to be okay because God says so. Not a counselor, not a pastor, not your friend over coffee who's just trying to make you feel better. God says he understands. In Psalm 103 it says he understands how weak we are. God understands. God understands your mistakes. He knew they were going to happen. He's seen it before. He's not surprised when you fail. He expects it because you're human. And that's what we do. He gets it. When you make a mess, God doesn't stop loving you. You know, when you do something kind of stupid where it's like, I'd kind of be afraid to like, tell God about that one, or you know God sees it, but you'd rather not talk to him about it. He doesn't stop loving you. And it's hard. Like, you're probably struggling with that concept right now because we live in a performance-based society, right? Like, when you win, you're good. When you succeed at work because you're so good, you get a raise or a promotion or whatever. We live in a performance-based society. It's just the way we all live. So when we are successful, we're, we ascend. We're recognized or we're promoted or whatever. And when we're unsuccessful, we think we're no good. We're insignificant. We're not important. We're not respected. But you need to stop thinking about God that way. Just because the world is that way doesn't mean God's that way because God doesn't judge you based on your performance. He just doesn't. God doesn't judge you based on your performance. I know throughout your whole life you've been judged that way. You either got an A in math or a B or C or whatever. You're judged on your performance. God doesn't judge that way. Instead of thinking of God as like a judge up in heaven just watching every mistake and being ticked at you all the time, you've got to think of God as a perfect parent. That's how he describes himself. A loving parent. And if you're a parent, I think you'll resonate with this. You don't love your child less when they have a dirty diaper. You might try to hand them off to the spouse, right? That happens. They start to smell a little bit, and you quickly hand them off before anyone realizes I've done it. But you don't love them less. And when you, I have two grown boys. When they're grown, you don't remember back and like, oh yeah, well, this one got potty trained at 18 months, and this one was 20 months, so I love... No. You don't love one child more than the other child based on how many messes they made growing up. Who spilled more glasses of milk at the table? I don't know. Actually, I do, because one of them spilled them constantly. I don't love them less, though. You just don't. And I'm just a human, a normal dude, no different than any other dude. So God, as a perfect parent, think about him. He doesn't love you less. He might hurt for you. He might be sad for you. He might want to help you. He might want to walk you through your struggles, because he loves you. But he's not up there judging you, all mad at you, not wanting to talk to you. That's not, that's not how God is. God says, I love you, period. I love you no matter what. That's what he says. It has nothing to do with your performance. You couldn't make him love him more than he does right now, and you couldn't make him love you less than he does right now. God just says, I just love you. I want to help you. I want to be close to you. I want to help you turn it around. See, a lot of times people think when you have some mess in your life or multiple messes in your life, you're like further from God. He doesn't want any part of you. It's just not true. This is what he actually says. Are, are, you, are you ready for what God says about your messes? Say, ready. ready. Okay, say, ready. ready. Okay, this is what God, this is really big because you're going to make a lot of messes in your life. You're not done making messes. Like, you just keep making them. I, I'm old. Like, I keep making messes. So this is what God says. 
Second Corinthians, straight from the Bible. My gracious favor is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. Now, weakness in the original language could be the same word as mess. So I'm just going to do my own little translation. I'm going to turn weakness to mess. God says, I'm all you need. I work best in the middle of your mess. That's when I want to show up for you. That's when I'm so powerful. So what mess has been eating you? It could be a marriage mess, a career mess, school, financial, personal, moral. There's a great long list, right, of messes. God says his power works best in the middle of your mess. So wherever you're struggling right now, whatever it's in, whatever area, God is just waiting there saying, I want to help you with this. I want to walk through this with you. He says it. Not not some pastor on stage. That's what he says. So you need to ask your all-powerful God to help you use your mess to grow. You can grow because of your mess. Messes can be super embarrassing. You know, certain ones, if everyone finds out, they're embarrassing, but they're not fatal. And realizing it's not fatal is so important to being healthy. It's not fatal. You're going to get over it. You're going to get past it. Now, if you're older, you'll, you'll get this immediately. If you're older, you'll understand. If you're younger, try to stay with me. You maybe never thought of it this way, but there's this reality in life. If you can remember this, it will help, this will help you so much. You're eventually going to see that no matter what mess you're dealing with right now, however bad it is, you might be in the most horrible stretch of your life right now, or maybe you just got over it or whatever. This horrible stretch, whatever it might be, you're going to see that a couple years later, this horrible stretch of life gets reduced to just like a sentence. Five years ago, I went through a really terrible divorce. It's a sentence five years later. All the pain and struggle and tears and all of it, five years later, it's a sentence. Four years ago, I had to drop out of school. Maybe you did some really stupid stuff. You were drunk all the time and didn't go to class and cheated and got kicked out and it was painful and embarrassing and your parents were ticked. All this stuff. A couple years later, yeah, four years ago, I had to drop out of school. No matter how big the problem, years later, it's a sentence in your life. These giant life events eventually just become a sentence or two. So your real story in your life is not your mess. That's not your story. That's not your life story. Mess. Your life story is the recovery from the messes. That's the story you're writing right now. There's going to be mess. Your own created dumb messes and the ones that got dumped on you had no control about, there's going to be messes. But your life story is how you respond to the mess because you can control your response. Your response is your story and you have complete control because that's a decision that you make. It's your choice. You have to get your mindset right so you can get your life right. You've got to know how to think about your life so that you can live your life in a way that you enjoy. Not focused on mess. What's the story you want to tell years later? If it's years after a relationship mess, what's your story coming out of it? You're not going to tell the story of all the details years later. Here's all the things and here's all the little details that went wrong. Here's the big fight that we had. No. What's the story you want to tell coming out of that mess? Or maybe you got fired or whatever, whatever struggle. Maybe you have an addiction, whatever the struggle. What's the story as you come out of it? That's your life. Your response is your life. So here it is. This is it now. This is how we should respond to mess. This is how we should respond to mess. 
you got to take ownership. Like I said, you look in the mirror, say, nobody's perfect. You know you messed up. So to say nobody's perfect in the mirror shouldn't be that difficult. And then you recognize, you remember that it's, you're not alone. It's not fatal. You're going to be okay because God says you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it through the mess. Then you just accept his forgiveness. He says he forgives you. He says he helps you. So you accept it. God, I'm so sorry. This is the dumb thing I did. And you accept his forgiveness. And then you forgive yourself. Because you could still have regrets, right? Like whatever the mess was. But you've got to be able to forgive yourself and move on the next day. Because God's not thinking about it anymore. God forgave you. So you've got to forgive yourself. And a lot of times people get caught on that. Where they can't forgive themselves and they get stuck. You have to. Because God does. And then you just write out your, your mess recovery plan. It might be three steps or seven steps. I don't know. But like, how are you going to recover from this mess? What's the plan? How are you in the future not going to be affected by this mess? You just write that out. And you can ask someone to help. Maybe you have a friend or uh, someone you respect, a counselor, whoever, that help you write your mess recovery plan. You don't have to stay stuck in it. And then you just ask God to help you with that. Because he says he will. My power works best in your mess. So you write this plan. You say, God, here's the plan. I'm going to try to do this. What do you think? And you pray about it. What do you think, God? Is this a good plan? And you just trust. As you feel answer, you just trust. People that are miserable allow their messes to consume their thoughts. It's just all day. You're thinking about the mess, thinking about the mess, angry about work or something at home, whatever. It just consumes you. There's no way to live. You don't want to live that way. Wise people use their mess to their advantage. They learn, they grow, they realize, whoop, never doing that one again, right? Even serious stuff, illegal stuff. Uh, drunk driving is really dumb. We know it. A lot of times people drive drunk. It happens. But to get caught and embarrassed and punished and then say, I got like 40 more years to live. I'm never doing that again. The older you get, the less messes you make because you learn from each one along the way, even the big nasty ones. And then here's the beautiful part of this. Not only can you be more healthy yourself, where you look in the mirror and you're okay with yourself. You're just okay. You're good. I'm okay with me. I know I'm imperfect. I'm okay with that. I'm trying. You just look in the mirror and you can say that. And then you realize all these messes in your life, not only are you okay, but you become the best person in the world to help other people with the same mess. If you've gone through things in life, there's no one better than you to help people through things. My dad committed suicide many years ago. I'm great at talking to people about suicide. It was super hurtful. It was terrible. But over the years, I learned a lot about it, and, and I've, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to about suicide over the years. And that's a terrible, ugly mess in someone's life. And I've got others, and you've got them too. God can actually use you just as you are right now. You might be sitting there like, I haven't been to church in so long, and I don't know much about the Bible, and I have all these problems and my messes in my life. And God's going, I can use you right now, just as you are. I love you just as you are. I forgive you just as you are. I'll walk you through this. I'll help you grow. And then you'll be in a position to help other people. Can you imagine that? You. Helping other people in their lowest moments. That's what you're capable of. That's how you can make the world around you a little better place. And that's what I want to pray about as I close. Okay, if you want to ever talk more about this, like I said, I have an office 25 minutes down the road to counsel, and I, I love helping people, especially with leadership stuff. But first, you've got to be willing to help yourself. So we're going to pray right now, and we're going to ask God to help us individually, each of us. 
help us grow. And then if you're willing, you don't pray this if you don't want it, if you're willing, that God would help you grow so much that down the road you could help someone else in a similar situation or that went through the same thing you did. So if you want to pray that with me, bow your heads and close your eyes and I'll say the words for us. Dear Lord, thank you for loving us no matter what. Thank you. You tell us in Scripture you understand that we're weak, you understand that we screw up. So thank you for still loving us no matter what. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for being willing to walk through our problems with us and help us grow. God, we ask you that right now. For each of us, whatever we're struggling with, we ask you to step in and help us learn and grow and become better people through our mess. And then finally, God, for those that are praying, we're asking you, help us to help others. So many people are struggling, Lord. Use us to serve your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.